We showed you a video earlier about, about human trafficking and what we've been doing the last couple, or sorry, the last week and then continuing tonight. We are talking about injustice in the world and how as Christians we're supposed to respond to it. And last week, I spent a lot of time reading to you a bunch of statistics, right? A lot of statistics. I, I gave you about like 12 different categories of what I deem uh, to be injustice in the world. And uh, while, we, while we talk about this, here's what I want you guys to do. Take that. Uh, take that. Draw a, draw a red X on your hand. Draw a red X on your hand, just like that, and I'll tell you why here in a little bit. Draw a red X on your hand. We've been talking, we were talking last week about injustice. I read you a bunch of statistics. Now let me ask you the question. Did anything, be honest with me, did, you don't have to answer out loud, but just think about it. Did anything actually change in your, in your mind about those statistics? Like after you walked out of here, after you read about them, after you heard about them, did anything in your mind actually change? You had a dream about it? Cool deal. So to recap, if you were not here, this is, this is where we're going with this. Last week we started off with what are we known for? And that's what we argued the idea that if we as a church... No matter all the good things that we do as a church, if we ignore the injustice in the world, we are not known for what we shouldn't be known by. And that in the middle of a broken world, we must not be a people of broken worship because we believe that worship and justice go hand in hand. That true worship is worship that is full of, full of devotion and also full of compassion. So you can sing all the songs you want in here. You can read all you want in this word. But if you ignore the injustice in the world, does it really add up? But last week I asked you, or I actually challenged you and said, I believe the biggest injustice in the world was what? Anybody remember? We don't even, what? Care. That I believe if all the injustice in the world, I think the biggest one is that for the most part, most of the time, we don't even care. And one of the reasons why I think we don't care sometimes, which I argued last week, is that we make it political, we make it a social issue, or we make it a human rights issue, or whatever it is. We talk about all these different reasons why we don't think about it, or we don't care. But I argued last week, I believe all the things I listed last week were actually Jesus issues, and if they're Jesus issues, we should actually care about them. But one of the reasons why I also don't think we care is that all we heard was stats, right? They're just numbers. Most of us were not thinking about that person, that number being a person, or you guys are thinking, oh, that's just all over there. We were, talking, we were talking about world hunger. That's mostly just third world. Or we talked about how people live on $1.90 a day. That's all over there. We all spend $100 a day on average, but whatever. That's all over there. We don't really think about it being a... Hello. <laughs> being a person, we don't think about it. We don't care. But it actually became real this week. If you paid attention anywhere on the news... You think it's all just over there? It actually became pretty personal in our country today. I mean, have you guys watched any news this week? Like, football people. The greatest owner in sports is now caught and being charged for prostitution at a place that is using women who are being trafficked for sex. He's going down. But I'm just going to say this. I'm going to go on a rant. He's only being potentially charged $500 and 60 days in jail. 
That's it. These girls have been trafficked into the country. They're being put into the spa, and they're doing some things that are just unspeakable. And all he, this guy is doing is paying 58 bucks for it to be done to him. And all he does out of it is get 50... I'm sorry, rant over. Um, I'm going to keep going. Do we even care? Or how about this? You know, music legend R. Kelly. Sexual abuse victims up to 12 to 15. Girls between the ages of 14 and 16. Girls your age being abused, raped, molested by a music icon. Do we even care? It's a hard question to ask, but think about this. All the statistics I shared last week, they're not just statistics. Those are what? People. People your age. People my age. People even younger than you. The lady whose voice you heard in the video earlier, her name is Christine Kane. If you ever get a chance to go on YouTube, watch something from Christine Kane, you'll be mind-blown. She's amazing. One of the most gifted speakers in the world right now, in my opinion. She, she, how she discovered the A21 campaign, which is one of her organizations that fights against human trafficking. Get this. She's in Greece, and she sees pictures all over the Greece airport. These pictures of children, younger than you guys. And she goes, what are these kids? And the lady next to her says, those are the people who are being trafficked into slavery. She's like, slavery does not exist. Then, you, know, you ever heard of the Emancipation Proclamation, like 1860s, slavery ended, right? And she's like, no, these people are still enslaved today. There's at least 27 million, and this is 10 years later. Now we've got 40 million. And then she starts figuring out who these people are. So her and her husband think, we've got to do something about this. So they, they spend more time going throughout Greece. And the, the husband, Nick Kane, is being approached by guys, little boys, Asking for yum-yum? Asking him. You don't even want to know what yum-yum is. It's not just girls being sold. Little boys are being sold into it. Not just sex slavery, but also child malicious. People over there, younger than you guys, are being forced to carry machine guns to mow down their families. Do we even care? Second question I want you guys to think about. That's the first one. Second one, are you hiding behind the veil of your religion? That you think, I'm religious, I am great, I love Jesus, that is all grand, I'm good. Meanwhile, also ignoring everything going on around you. Are you hiding behind the veil of your religion? You think being religious is good enough for you. Third question I want you guys to think about. Do you see people the way Jesus does? Do you think Jesus looks at that person and sees a stat? Do you think all he sees is a stat? Or something over there that we don't have to think about? Do we even care? Are you hiding behind the veil of your religion? Do you see the people the way Jesus does? Here's what I want you guys to think about this, this evening. Here's what I want to focus on is that in the midst of injustice, we fail when we hide behind the veil of religion. We as Christians will always fail at being Christians if all we do is hide behind that. I'm a Christian. It's okay. We're good. I'm going to heaven. It's all good. 
And we get stuck behind that. But what I read last week from Amos chapter 5, and Kate, I didn't tell you to do this. I'm going to just do it from my phone. From Amos chapter 5, it's from the message translation. I read this for last week. I can't stand your religious meetings. I am fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I am sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I have had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? This is God. I want justice. I want oceans of it. I want fairness. I want rivers of it. God does not just want our noisy religion that we hide behind. He wants something more. If you remember last week, I said that in Amos chapter 5, these people were so sold out for their Lord that they, they were all concerned about their self-righteous schemes. They were so concerned about their pursuit of being holy that they ignored everyone around them, and everyone around them was being oppressed. They're being beaten. They're being killed, and they don't care. And God says, I don't care what you bring to me. I don't care about your offerings. I don't care about your feasts. I don't care about anything you do because you're ignoring them. And all of a sudden, they start saying, well, we want justice to come. We want salvation to come. We want God to come back and bring judgment. And what God says, you don't want that. Because you don't realize when it comes, I'm bringing it upon you also. Because as much as you worship, you refuse to recognize your own sin. You are just as bad as what you think those people are. Fast forward to 2019. And we in the church, we as Christians, we walk and we think that we get all puffed up, we get all proud because of all the things and all the good that we do, yet we ignore all the problems around us. We look upon others and say, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. We talked about this at Senior High Convention last night, for those of you who were there. Comparison is such a huge trap. I am not as bad as Ryan Elliott. Or Ryan says, you know what, that might be true, but I'm not as bad as C.W. Durham. And then we get this whole little crap circle going on right here. Comparison. I'm not as bad as that guy. We build ourselves up and think, I'm not, I'm not that bad. You know, uh, that guy died because he was a murderer. I'm, I'm not a murderer. I just hate that guy. Or we look upon people and say, you know what? I'm sorry you're having depression. I'm sorry that you have this mental health disorder. Why don't you have more faith and get over it? Or, we look at the homeless people and say, dude, go get a freaking job. Yes, I just said that in church, excuse me. But all of that, all we are doing is hiding behind the veil of our own religion. We think we're something special when Scripture clearly says, do not think so highly of yourself. And when we hide behind that veil of religion, we are not aligning ourselves with the very God we claim that we pursue. We say we are looking forward to God, we say that we're running to Him, but in reality, we're not even aligning ourselves with Him. Because the God that we believe in, the God that we say we believe in, is a God of love, God of mercy, God of compassion. We said last week that God desires us to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God, but yet we turn around and don't do any of those three. Are we actually aligning ourselves with Him or something made up in our own mind? And we get together on Sunday nights, we as a youth group or we as Christians, we sing about God's praise will ever be on our lips, and yet we walk out of here and that same mouth that spoke praise spoke, is now speaking evil upon one another. It lasted like 30 minutes during worship, and now during small group you're gossiping about the person who was singing next to you, or sitting on the front row, or running the sound booth. You don't speak any evil about the person around Probers, and you're just saying that, right? 
So from one moment we have praise, the next moment we have gossip that destroys and kills one another. When we hide behind the veil of religion, all we do is we expose our lack of love and compassion. We expose that. We don't have it. What does that look like? What does it look like to hide behind the veil of religion when we don't show our love and compassion? Here's the best example. Ready? Social media. I can post whatever I want. I can comment and say whatever I want because there's a screen in between me and that person. Dave Medley and I can get into a verbal argument and I can spew hatred upon him and I can get away with it because all there is is between him and I is just a screen. I can hide and be anonymous. So this past week, what you guys, those of you who live in West Virginia and go to a public school, what did you have to deal with? The strike, right? Katie came home and showed me this. Just want to throw this out there. Despite your Whatever your beliefs on that, you should always still honor those who are placed in positions of authority. You should all honor those who are also not positions of authority. You should all honor one another. You don't want to know why? Because when you honor one another, you're honoring God. I'm sitting there watching Wikipedia. Katie comes home and shows me this. And politicians in our state are just being bashed. On Wikipedia, they're rewriting their articles on Wikipedia, spewing stuff on it. So to the point where I showed Katie this, on the bottom of every Wikipedia site, you can click on a button that says last updated, and it'll show you everything that's been updated. And in a two-hour window, I just scrolled through it, and it says hate speech removed, harassment has been removed, vandalism has been removed. All this stuff that people are just spewing hatred just because they don't like the guy, and they think, oh, I'm anonymous. I can hide behind the screen. I can say whatever I want. They're hiding behind the veil of a computer screen or a cell phone. And we do the exact same thing with religion. We do the exact same thing with our Christian faith. We trash people. We dishonor them. I would argue that we don't even actually have love when we do that. So what do we do? Well, it goes back to the question I asked you earlier that we must see people the way Jesus sees them. And to look about how Jesus sees these people, we are going to spend time in Luke chapter 10. This is a very popular story. If you've grown up, even if you've even been in church for just a short period of time, you may have heard this story called the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Said, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, meaning Jesus. He says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question. One of the questions we ask all the time, right? What shall we do to inherit eternal life? He said, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Pretty simple. He asked him a question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He says, what, is, what does it say? Love my, love my Lord, love my neighbor. Jesus says, go do it. It's not over yet. 29, verse, verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, basically meaning to make himself look better, to make himself look like his actions aren't that bad, to justify himself, he asked the question, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied to him in a parable like he did so often. He says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. 
who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring out oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And Jesus asked, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus again says, You go do likewise. So get this in your mind. You're walking down the street. You see a man who's been robbed, he's been beaten, he's bloodied up, he's probably he's half dead, he's probably drooling all over himself, probably can't even speak, probably can't even open his eyes. What do you do? Do you look upon him and do you even care? Do you see him how Jesus would see him? Or are you going to hide behind your religious veil? Because here's what happened. It says the priest came down, and it says on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, that's where they came to do their sacrifices. So he's on his way home from doing sacrifices in the temple, and he's walking down the road. He sees this person half dead, and he decides, I'm going to be a turd. I'm going to walk on the other side of the road around him. You don't want to know why? He didn't want to defile himself. He didn't want to be unclean. He didn't want to go out of his way to be a little inconvenient. Second guy comes by, says, a Levite. Levites were from the, the Levitical priesthood. He wasn't a priest, but he probably helped out the priest, kind of like Brett Howard, right? The executive to the pastor. He comes down the road. Don't tell him I said that. He comes down the road, and he too, he sees him, and he ignores him. He just ignores him, leaves him for dead. Then a third person comes, and it's a Samaritan. Who does not like Samaritans? Anybody know? Jews. This guy is Jewish on the ground. Honestly, if, you see a, if you're a Jewish, you see a Samaritan person coming up to you, and you're half dead, you might want to just die. That's how bad they hated each other. But a Samaritan comes up, and he sees him, and it says they had compassion on him, and he helped him. He poured water and oil on his wounds. He helped him. He restored him. He put him on, a, on, his, on his donkey and took him to an inn and paid for all of his medical bills, basically. Here's what this looks like in today's culture. I had some fun with this, but this is what I think. It, you might think this is an exaggeration, but just think, play with me. Sunday morning, <clears throat> you come in, you sing songs, you hear an awesome sermon from Tony Foreman, you get in your car, turn her on, Caleb's on, and next thing you know, Reckless Love's playing. You're like, it's my jam. You start singing along. There's no wall you won't kick down. You're just going crazy. As you're driving, you see a homeless person standing with a sign. And you just shake your head and you think, go get a job, you panhandler. Or you have the guts to, you know, pull out some change and take a selfie and go, ha, look what I did. I helped a guy. Or then you keep driving. It's not over yet. You keep driving because what does everybody do after church? A good Christian goes to get Mexican food. You keep driving. You go join them at the local Mexican restaurant. You get some huevos con chorizo. Then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the server has the audacity to start speaking in Spanish to another person. 
And you think, get out of my stinking country. We speak English here. This happens in our own backyard. Watch NBC. Tampico made national news. But then, the conversation doesn't end there. As you guys are spending time with your fellow church-going Christians, as you spend time eating over the best chips and salsa in the world, you spend their t- spending time talking about how, why, how dare that worship leader wear yoga pants? Or how dare Pastor Tony use anything but the ESV or the King James? How dare that person even show their face in church after what they said about my cousin or my sister? And you spend the entire time gossiping and tearing down people. But then you pay the bill, you get back in the car. It's okay, you left a 10% tip because you tithe. You get back in the car, crank it on, Caleb pops back on. And now it's singing all the poor and powerless. You're like, my other jam. Shout it from the mountains, right? Go scream it to the masses. Then you pass Planned Parenthood. You see a woman walking into a clinic. You roll down your window. Hey! Abortion's murder! As you keep driving, someone has the nerve to cut in front of you. You stick your hand in the window and go, screw you! You just spent an hour lifting your hands in worship, singing praises to your Heavenly Father that you claim to love, and you now have the nerve to lift up evil, to use your hands for evil. You are just hiding behind the veil of your religion. You might think, yes, that's an exaggeration. And it is, to an extent. No, that may not be particularly what you do or how you do it, but if we're all honest with ourselves, we don't see people the way Jesus does. We hide behind our religion, and most of the time we don't even care. Because we are the people just like the guy who's wanting to justify himself. We go, hey, uh, who's my neighbor? I live in Parkersburg. Who's my neighbor? And we don't, wanna, we don't even want to hear the answer most of the time. Because really, that's like a really ignorant question. It's a really ignorant question. Because in reality, our neighbor is the one who's made in the image of God. That's it. It's not a debate. So if it's the one who's made in the image of God, it's the woman who is scared because she just found out she's pregnant. She doesn't know what to do. She needs options. Instead of someone screaming at her, she needs someone to just love on her. Or it's the person who goes, I don't know what my sexual identity is. I don't know how to live. I don't know who I'm liking. I don't know what to do. Instead of someone just coming down and bashing them, they just need someone to love on them. Maybe it's the person who is a different faith across the street. The Muslim or Hindu that you work with or live with, go to school with. Again, you might think those are over-exaggerated ones. But also the person on your soccer team, your basketball team, your band. That you think. The one that you speak differently when they turn around and walk the other way. You speak differently behind them back. Who is your neighbor? Our neighbor is the one who is made in the image of God. If you paid attention to that video, it said... That everything changes when you put a face and a name with a statistic. Here's the problem I think that we have in our society today. Everything requires a label. Everything requires a label. 
Because once a label is put on somebody, it automatically defines them. Just because I live in Parkersburg, all of a sudden I'm the, the worst person ever just because I live in Parkersburg. Because, oh, only evil people live in Parkersburg. Or, I'm a millennial. That means I'm never going to get a job. I'm going to be lazy my entire life, live with mom and dad. We put a label on anything. Once we put a label on it, we're just destroying the person. Because when we take a label on a person, we actually strip them of the best label they've ever been given. Which is that they are made in the image of God. Will we see a person as a person? Will we see them as a person? When we don't see a person as Jesus does, we strip our neighbor of their identity as a son or daughter of God. And we put a label on them. Gay, straight, transgender, murderer, homeless, orphan. You can keep going. All those things that we talked about, prostitute, slave. All we are doing is stripping them of their dignity. We are stripping them of their identity. And when we don't view them as a person, we're never going to love them or have compassion on them. So let's ask yourself, in the story that we read, which one are you? In the story of the Good Samaritan, which one are you? Are you the religious ones who are going to hide, your, hide behind your religion? You're walking down the street, you're going to see someone begging for mercy, you're going to just kind of like walk around them, you know. Or you see the person at Walmart that you've been like loathing to see for a long time, you're like, huh, I should really get some deodorant over here. Are they gone? Nope. I need some of this. Or, you're the person who runs into it, runs to that person, because now you have your chance. Now you have your chance to just bash them. You get to rebuke them. You get to bring them down. You get to tell them all the things you've ever done to you. Now's your chance to be holy. And you just trash them. You take them away their dignity. See, we claim that Christ is in us a lot. We claim that we have been redeemed. We claim that we are no longer spiritually dead, that we've been born again. We, we put this on our foreheads. We, do this and we wear it on our sleeves. I'm wearing an Indus shirt that automatically means I love the Indus movement, right? Or we put it on our bumper stickers. We put it on our Facebook posts, our Instagram feeds. We do the Instagram filter that says hashtag Indus. All this stuff, but in reality, we don't actually have any love for those people. We don't view them as people. Or, are you the good Samaritan? Are you the one that's like, no, I see the need. I see the need, and I want to meet that need. You go up to a person, you see someone bloody, beaten up, and you think, that could be me. So I'm going to have mercy and have compassion on them, and I'm going to give them all I have. I'm going to give them everything that they need. I'm going to help pay the bills. I'm going to help provide for them. And restore them. Who are you? There's a third person in the story. It's the one who's on the ground. And I've been this one a lot. The one that's been beaten down by religion. Get personal real quick. When someone's beaten down, when someone's been oppressed, where is the one safe place they should always find it? In the church. And you would think a person who works for the church 
should be the, have the easiest access to it, right? But I have been on the one who's been beaten down by these religious people who hide behind their religion. I've been the one on the ground asking for mercy, asking for help, asking for peace. And I just keep getting bashed over my head with religion, saying, you know what, Scott? I'm not really sure you're called to do ministry. I'm not really sure this is what you're supposed to do with your life. I think we should probably sit down and examine what you're supposed to do with your life. Because I don't think it's ministry. Maybe it's like tech ministry or something like that where you're a little bit more productive. You know what? Also, while we're talking about that, I'm not really sure your marriage is anything great. I know you've only been married four months, but I don't think your marriage is that great. She ain't a pastor's wife. She's not up on stage talking about women's ministry. She's not doing all this stuff. Is this really what a Christian pastor's marriage should look like? I'm the one getting screamed at. And all I want is someone just to provide healing, provide mercy. And the one place I feel like I should get it is at the church. To the point where I was going home every single day on my hands and knees to my dad, crying out, saying, God, Dad, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do ministry anymore. If this is what it's supposed to be like, then I hate it. This is not church. Then I go home and I unload everything, every bit of anger, every bit of fear, every bit of anxiety and depression in front of my wife, who's terrified. To the point where I turn and I just punch the crap out of a wall and break three knuckles on my hand. All because someone who is hiding behind the religious veil is pouring their crap out upon me as they hide behind it. The place where I'm supposed to find peace and comfort and healing is not where I'm finding it. And it took a long time to get past some of this. And there are people sitting in this room, people who come into our church every single day who have been beaten down by life repeatedly, and all they want to do is find hope and find peace. And they come into this building hoping to find it here, and we make it worse for them. We make it worse because we say, you know what? You probably should have prayed harder. You probably should have worked a little bit harder at it. Have a little bit more faith. You didn't have enough faith. That's why you're depressed. I'm sorry. Sorry you're having suicidal thoughts. That just makes you weak. And we keep unloading this garbage from from behind our religious veils to make ourselves look better, make ourselves feel holy. And we are actually just making the problem all the worse because it just shows that we don't care. We don't see the way, we don't see people the way Jesus does. And we're just hiding behind our religion. And we've been talking about this idea of human trafficking, specifically this week. And when I say the number 40 million, the first thing you think is just the number 40 million. You can't even comprehend 40 million people. Whether it be sex slavery, whether it be forced labor, whether that be child militia. 40 million people enslaved today. And what we do is pretend like it's not going to happen. Not on our watch. It's not going to happen. God, God, God will take care of it. It's true. God will take care of it. But I'm going to be honest. Even as Christians, we talk about how the world will face judgment. Remember, Christians will still face judgment. That we still stand, have to stand before our God one day, and he's going to go, do you remember how you had 40 million people enslaved in the world? And you did nothing about it? You didn't care? 
And it might be tonight that you just drew a red X on your hand. You're saying, I'm in it to end it. We might take up an offering here in a little bit to send to the end it movement who will send it to International Justice Mission or the A21 campaign. But then tomorrow, that red X will just wash off as you wash your hands, hopefully. Just wash off. Won't make a difference anymore. You won't think about it anymore. Who knows? You might be sitting there thinking, I'm in it to end sex trafficking. I'm going to draw a red X on my hand. I'm going to take a picture with my youth group tonight, post it, say, we are in it to end it. But then when I get home tonight, I'm going to open up my computer. I'm going to put it on incognito mode or private. Go browse them. One thing leads to another, to another, and you are now contributing to the very thing you said you were in it to end. I told you guys last week, $150 billion is made on human trafficking in the world. $150 billion. Get this, and I said this last week, but I don't know if it's set in with you guys. I know it's set in with a few of you. $95 billion is made on pornography. We might be in it to end it, but yet we are actually contributing to it. Do you see people the way Jesus does? Do you actually even care? Or are you just going to sit here and hide behind your religion? Because it says that we're going to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. That's great. If you don't add the next line where it says, love your neighbor as yourself, then what, you just done, what you've been saying is false. That I really believe that if you're not extending the love of Jesus, you actually don't have the love of Jesus. And you've been mistaken.